Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, we got the official decree last time that it is spooky season. We have established that, so we've got some good stuff to uh, talk about for the season and some other stuff, too. Big screen and for streaming. Welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out in post-World War II Venice. Hercule Poirot, now retired and living in his own exile, reluctantly attends a seance. But when one of the guests is murdered, it is up to the former detective to once again uncover the killer. It's a haunting in Venice. A ghost killed her. There must be a rational answer for all of this. Just admit that you are up against something bigger than you. Something in this house tried to kill me. Don't look at me like I'm a suspect. We're old friends. Every murderer is somebody's old friend. No one shall leave until I find if the living have been killed by the dead. You have been hiding here all this time. Who are you talking to? Well, this is number three now for Kenneth Branagh and a star-studded ensemble and the same writer that uh, helps has helped him, that's been helping him adapt these Agatha Christie classics. Michael Green is back. And, of course, he started with Murder, the, on, the Murder Orient on the Orient Express and then Death on the Nile, both very well-known, very yes. well-known Agatha Christie uh, works. This one, not so much, which, which is a plus and a minus, and we'll get into that. But the two of the thing, well, one main thing you can say about both of, of the uh, the installments so far, they both looked fantastic. Yes, there was some shaky CGI and shaky is being polite in Death on the Nile. But aside from that, the the cinematography and everything in these both of these movies looked great, and that continues in this one because it really looks fantastic and it's very spooky and it fits the season and the whole gothic vibe seems just right. Yeah, it's a gorgeous movie. He shoots in 70 millimeters. So the the films just they you know, they have that incredible cinematic look. And in this case, you know, it, it's much more sort of Halloweeny, spooky. It is set on Halloween. The the original novel is actually called The Halloween Party. Right. So and it's in Venice and you know, I've got all of these costumes and all, you know, these you know, the canals and this the cloaks and oh, the I mean, masks. Right. And- it's just gorgeous. And then as things progress and get spookier, Hannah uh Brana uses sort of you know, these unusual angles and oh, sort of fish of eye and, yeah. you know, a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah, it just, it's got a great, uh, a great aesthetic. The whole thing does. It really does. It, it has just this creepy, spooky vibe. It's certainly not scary. I mean, as we've been saying every time we've been talking about this movie, it's rated, it's PG-13. And I wouldn't call it a horror movie. Not at I all. mean, if especially it's for people that don't like their scary movies very scary. Yes. It's more of a mood. It, yeah. It's a creep. Yeah. It's an atmosphere. But it's a murder mystery that's set, as you said, on Halloween night, and the whole and the whole vibe is just right because uh, Perot's old friend, uh, a famous writer, played by Tina Fey, 
looks him up in Venice, and she considers herself very smart, but she has not been able to figure out this medium who is going to give a seance later that night in this big gothic manner. Played by Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, the medium is played by Michelle Yeoh. So Tina Fey wants... Wants Bran out there, Perot, to come and you know put his deductive skills to t- to the test and figure out how this this medium does it because it certainly appears that she can talk to the dead. Well, uh, Perot, and, and one of the things about the movie too, not only is it is, is it creepy and, and spooky, but it also there's a there's an air of of grief of trauma in it because if you remember from Death on the Nile, we got a bit more of a, a frisky Perot that time, and I think that might have had to do with the success of Benoit Blanc. In uh, in Knives Out, you know, Perot was a little more. A little, we learned more about him last time. He's now he's it's 1947, so it's past. It's a uh, post-war, and he's a bit beaten down. Uh, he's like it said in the synopsis. He's retired. He's sort of exiled himself, and he he says he believes in no god, no ghosts. I mean, he's war weary, and so that's a little bit of the vibe as well. But uh, even he once once there's a, a different murder at this seance, and he, of course, locks everybody in. You cannot leave until, because he's on the case. He starts seeing some things that uh, play, his eyes play tricks on him. And he's, is there really something supernatural going on here? And he has to get to the bottom of it. So that's that's basically the framework, and you know how Agatha Christie works. I mean, she's pretty much started this whole, this whole, you know, device, the devices that have been so copied throughout the decades, but everybody's a suspect. Everybody seems to have an angle. They could be guilty. What are they hiding? And we find out a lot about these these guests uh, before and what they had going on in their past and before they all met up for the seance. And you'll notice uh, some of the folks, Jamie Dornan is is in the cast. We mentioned Michelle Yeoh, Tina Fey, uh, Kelly Riley. Mm-hmm. She plays the mother of this murdered little girl, and that's why they're having the seance. She wants to get some answers as to who killed her little girl. That's at the uh, the heart of why they're having this this situation where hopefully the medium can talk to the dead. So uh, all the characters are well drawn. I mean, nobody, of course, nobody is above suspicion. That's the point of this. Uh, you, they want to keep you guessing, which I think unless you've read the book, which, as you mentioned, is not that well known. I had not heard of it, no. honestly. You won't know who uh, who is the killer. And I think it keeps you guessing pretty well. But... As we mentioned about the downside of having it be a lesser known, a lesser known work, just from reading over the synopsis of how it transpired in the book, Branagh and Green have made some adjustments to the story to keep it more spooky, more in line with the the supernatural, so to speak. So while you don't know how it's going to turn out because you're probably not familiar with the work, on the other hand, there are times when it seems like it's more of a Christie imitation than Christie herself. I don't want to give anything away, but there are certain moments in this movie where you say to yourself, no, no one who (laughs) knows who Hercule Perot is would think this would work. And um, I don't think you get that in an actual Agatha Christie book. I've not read this one. I've read a lot of hers, but Mm -hmm. I've not read this one. So I could be wrong. Maybe she's dumber in this one than she is in her other books. But um, and I don't want that to sound like a big knock. But you know, when you when you follow her uh, Agatha Christie's books, they really are airtight. And the this one, there is a there's like a surface, an entry into the mystery that falls apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. The mystery itself, I'm not sure does, but there's the entrance way into it. You're like, no, I don't buy that. But it's very entertaining. It is, you know, and it's got a great p- 
pace. It keeps you moving. And again, the camera work is fun. I mean, it's 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 an elegant throwback, you know, murder mystery. When we say fun, it's not like it's you know like a raucous comedy or anything. No. But it is. It's an it's an entertaining. Beautifully made movie. There, there are some barbs thrown back and forth between uh, Branagh and Tina Fey that are amusing, yeah, but amusing. it's certainly not a comedy. No. And if you do read, if you have read the the book or read the synopsis, you can see why they did what they did. They wanted to keep it creepy throughout sure. and keep this whole vibe. Um, and so that does work, and it is fun, but the actual mystery is a little lesser than some of those classics that he, especially the classics that he's already adapted. So mm-hmm. so it's a plus and a minus. I was certainly excited when I first heard about this, like, ooh, a, a spooky one yeah, of Chrissy exactly. that I'd never heard about. So you get a little plus and minus. But yeah, I mean, I think we both still recommend it. I oh, mean, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it is fun. Yeah, it's I, fun. Yeah, and I think he has done, he continues to show... Um, you know, a flair for doing these. This is the third one now, and they've all been decent. Yeah. And they, I think they've helped along with, certainly along with Ryan Johnson, to sort of to bring the murder mystery back in vogue. You know, yep. it's, it's fun again. We've even seen, uh, you know, Adam Sandler do the, the comedy uh, bit with his murder mystery. He's had a couple of those now. Not, not very good by no. our, our terms, <laughs> but, but they've been successful in their own right. So people are kind of into murder mysteries again, which is, which is fun. So, yeah, I think this one certainly fits the bill for the Halloween season, especially if you don't like it really gory and mm-hmm. bloody and scary, and but just just creepy, just a vibe, uh-huh. just a mood yeah. with a lot of good performers and a fun mystery to try to untangle. This is this is certainly fits the bill, and it's in theaters all over right now called A Haunting in Venice. Well, let's go to Netflix. Hadley and Oliver begin to fall for each other on their flight from New York to London. The probability of ever finding each other again seems impossible, but love and London may have a way of defying the odds. This is Love at First Sight. The odds of finding your soulmate are slim to none. This is my number. Text me so I've got yours. I don't know. The odds of finding them again. Good luck. How's your flight? Surprising. I lost his number, but I need to find this guy that I met on the plane. Sounds really stupid. Sounds brave. With miles and miles between them, there is only a 0.2% chance that they will ever see each other again. But what good is a chance if you don't take it? Is it better to have had a good thing and lost it or never to have had it? We are big Haley Lou Richards fans. We are. Haley I mean, Lou is great. She is. And and we've, I mean, uh, she was years ago, she was the best friend in Edge of 17. And we're like, you know what? I like her. And then we saw Columbus. If you have not seen the movie Columbus. Nobody has. Seek it out. It's <laughs> so good. And she's magnificent. She's good at everything. She yeah, can but do, we've been absolutely in her have. wagon ever since yep. Columbus. And then she can do something like Support the Girls, which is a pretty good movie for, for mm-hmm. a movie based around a Hooters restaurant. Mm-hmm. It really is. And she's good in that. She's just, she's very natural. natural. And she goes a long way toward making this movie better than the usual rom-coms because if you know us you know that we are not fans nope. of the rom-coms because the, and, and I know a lot of people are and yes, that's great. That's right. Like just like a lot of people don't like horror movies right. and we do. I mean it's you know love what you love and we yeah. support that but it but what I think the point that we're trying to make is we enjoyed this movie, and we aren't cut out to enjoy this right, movie. Right, right. And especially and now if you love rom-coms then you'll love this. It's based on a book. The book is called The Probab- the I think it's called the statistical probability of love at first sight, and that's sort of how they un- un- unfold the story. There's a narrator that's constantly talking about 
probabilities and statistics of things. And then you've got Oliver, the, the male half of this couple, played by Ben Hardy. He's very into that and data. And, and so it unfolds as sort of because the narrator becomes sort of a fairy godmother type telling this story of how they got together. And, yeah, they, they meet on a plane and then they're, they've gone their separate ways. And she's going to her father's wedding in London. Yep. He's got a family thing to deal with in London as well. So that's basically that's where he's from. And then they get separated, and she thought she had his number, but she didn't. And how can they find each other? So it, it's got a lot of those contrivances that you're going to find in rom-coms, but uh, especially with Haley Lou's natural ability ability to not seem like she's posing to be cute. Right. That that really makes a lot of these contrivances go down easy. And they've you know they've got a, a decent chemistry. Ben Hardy you might recognize from he played uh, Roger Taylor, the Queen's drummer in Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, and actually the the uh, director of Bohemian Rhapsody, Dexter Fletcher, he shows up as Oliver's father. Right. In this one, you know the two of them are they're fun together. The 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 banter is is it realistic? Maybe not, but somehow she makes it she makes it go down easier. And we keep saying rom-com, but the truth is it's light. It's a light film. It's yeah. not a comedy outright that, at all. True. It's really just sort of a light-hearted romance that is, is what true. it is. Yeah, it's really not comedy. There are light, amusing moments, but no, it's not. I don't think it's going for comedy. No, no. Um, it's, it's really well shot, too, actually. I mean, it looks quite lovely. And the way they work in the, the narrator... Because you know where it's going, you absolutely do. They don't like leave you hanging, but the way that the, they work in the narrator and the way they skip around in the timeline, you know, keeps you engaged. I think. And again, it, you know, it looks good. All of the performances are solid. As each of the two, Oliver and Hadley, yes, work through the issue that has them going to London in the first place. Yeah. You know, you round out not just the two leads, but actually the supporting cast as well. So it's it's a fairly well-written film, too. Yeah, and we should mention the narrators played by Jamila Jamil. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. And a lot of people will know her from the TV series The Good Place. She was also in DC League of Super Pets, our voice of Wonder Woman. So she'll be uh, recognizable to some people. Yeah. And you're right, the way they weave her through in different parts to keep us updated on things it's, it's kind of cute it so is. yeah this is better than a lot of the quote-unquote yeah we're going to throw it into a, the rom-com although it's really not it's more of a, a, a drama romance told in a fairy tale type way yeah. and better than better than a lot and i think that if you like these types of movies you'll find a lot to like here and especially if you like the book uh, it probably is a is a fine adaptation for you. We should say the writers, Katie Lovejoy and Jennifer E. Smith. Jennifer E. Smith wrote the book, and then the director is Vanessa Caswell. Caswell. So check that out on Netflix. Uh, Love at First Sight. We didn't hate it. So no, <laughs> we did good. not hate it. No, it's uh, and anything really that Haley Lou Richardson is in, I think, is is usually worth checking out. Even yep. in and she's been in. Come on, she's been in some bad rom coms. She has, but she always makes them a little bit better. And that's on Netflix now. Love at first sight. Next up is a documentary, Daring to Seek Earth's History, contained in glaciers atop the tallest mountains in the world. Dr. Lonnie Thompson's life's work evolves into a salvage mission to recover priceless historical records before they disappear forever. It's called Canary. In the old days, you took a canary into the mine. If it dies, then it's time for you to flee the mine. my first encounter with Lonnie. It was like I was meeting a real-life Indiana Jones. Lonnie is a visionary. 
peaks of our global climate history captured in these glaciers. Lonnie was going where no scientist had gone before. It seemed to be impossible. This glacier started disappearing before Lonnie's eyes. He thought he could change something. If he doesn't do it, nobody would. Lonnie didn't come to climate change. Climate change came to him. If humans can create it, humans can solve it. I don't believe there's anything that we cannot achieve. Canary as in Canary and coal mine. Yeah, and this is really interesting because it's... We should have known about this man. Yes, we should have. We uh, have no excuse. Because he's right here in Columbus, Ohio, where we are. He, uh, Lonnie Thompson and his wife, Ellen Mosley Thompson, Thompson, both PhDs, they have run the Bird Polar Research Center out of Ohio State, where we are both alums. That's right. For years. We had no idea. Well, uh, we definitely were not science majors. We are not. <laughs> <laughs> But this tells not only his story, which is fascinating, yeah. but then what his his research has told him and how now he is trying to help get the word out with appearances and, of course, with, with this movie. It's directed by Danny O'Malley and Alex Rivest. And the first, at least half of the movie, really, is getting us to know him, a man who's been described as the closest living thing to Indiana Jones, which is, whew, that's that's high praise. Yes, it is. And he's got such a modest background. He grew up poor in West Virginia with an incredible scientific mind, came to Ohio State to study coal geology because he came from mining country. And then he took a, a research job studying glaciers, and that just changed the course of his life and the course of, of climate science because he just got just so deep into studying these glaciers. And then he really spearheaded this breakthrough of not just studying the poles, which everybody else was doing. He said, why don't we go and study other glaciers, specifically tropical glaciers? He started with Peru, where most of his colleagues were saying, no, no, no. Because you have to climb mountains yeah, to get to Yeah, and those. he did it anyway. You know, had to you, climb you don't, mount- you don't have glaciers in the tropics yes. unless you get really high. Right, up. and so he <laughs> became a mountain climber. Then you got to find a way to get all that uh, equipment up there. And once he started doing it and pulled it off, the entire scientific community found out that, oh, my God, he's getting incredible evidence, incredible historical records from this ice. And that is fascinating. And so it's a smart way, I think, because, you know, climate change has become, su- unfortunately, become such a political issue anymore, not just scientific issues. So they, they spend a great deal of time letting us get to know this fascinating man. And there's no way you'd have to be the most rabid ideologue to accuse this man of being a grandstander. This man is, I mean, he's the biggest nerd and he's the first one to tell you that. And he's all about the science, just the science and the facts and the science. And that's it. And so... Once we get to know him, then we dig deeper into what this science, what his life's work, what doing his research, right? We're all told to do our research. Well, here's a guy that has spent his entire life doing it and what that research is telling him and how he's, yeah, the canary in the coal mine. And he's trying to, to say, we've got to do something about this because he's still hopeful. He still says, look, he still believes that if humans cause a problem, then they can solve it. And so he's gotten, for, for the longest time, he says that he thought his work would speak for itself. Look, look what I'm collecting. This You can't, what are you not seeing? Come on. But now he's realized that maybe he, sh- he could spend some time trying to get the word out and, and really pushing what he has found. And that's what the, the bulk, the, the remainder, after we get to know him, 
the remainder of the documentary focuses on. And it is it is fascinating. If you don't have a scientific mind, as we don't, <laughs> and, and true, we do have a, a more maybe more of a draw because he is local, but even so, he's a fascinating man, his wife as well. They have fascinating lives, dedicated to science, dedicated to you know, knowledge and trying to better the world from that knowledge. And it's really, really recommended. If you can check this out, it is out in theaters right now, and hopefully you can find it in your area. And it is called Canary and got some great shots, too. When you're talking about mountain climbing, uh, you know, you're going to be up in those heights and in different places that don't normally get this type of research. You'll get some great uh, landscapes and great uh, photography as well. So, yeah, recommended. It's called Canary documentary out now. Let's stay in theaters for a sports biography drama. Uh, this is, it follows the true story of Cassandro, the Exotico character created by Saul Armadares, a gay amateur wrestler from El Paso who rose to international stardom. It's called Cassandro. Things are going to be a little different tonight. This guy right here is an exotico. Stop wasting my time. I'm pushing things. The other wrestlers think you're getting too big. Ladies and gentlemen, you are a witness to history. This one stars and was executive produced by Gael Garcia Bernal, who is always good oh, yeah. in everything. Yep. And he's just magnetic and warm and wonderful in this movie. And it's a true story, which I love. I love that it's a true story. And it's the narrative feature debut of the director. Roger who, Ross Williams. He's also a co-writer. Who all, who has up to now done documentaries. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, that that really serves this film. Because, first of all, of course, it's a true story, but because he doesn't treat the, uh, so it's Lucha Libre, which is, so so it's amateur wrestling. They have character types in Lucha Libre. The Of course, there's the ones that you may know who always wear a mask right. and they never take their masks off. But then there are the other types, which I didn't know anything about, the runt and the yeah, exotic guy. I didn't either. I didn't either. And, and But it doesn't treat it like a sideshow, you know, which I think is one of the reasons where it's great that a documentarian st- is the person behind the camera. Yeah, and much like in wrestling here, it's a show where we we know it's predetermined right. who, who is going to win exactly. and who is going to lose. And some of these characters, they, they, they always lose. Yes. So, for example, the runt, which is how, which is how Saul started because his, he's not a very big person. No, so he's he, not. <laughs> so he was, he was cast as the runt and he lost every time. And uh, and so but he doesn't he doesn't want to lose. So he finds uh, somebody to train him to to help him to get better at it. And she recommends that he be an exotico. And uh, he says exoticos always lose. They absolutely never get to win. And it is explained to him that they won't ever get to win because wrestling is a fairy tale and Good always has to defeat evil. And by exotico, we mean it's like uh, an exotico is a, a drag performer. Right. So it's a wrestler, but they are wrestling in drag. And at that moment, where so he's he viewed hears as that, bad. Right at the moment that he hears that, he decides 
nope, he is going to be an exotico. He's going to be a great exotico. And the, what is so great is he's so empowered by performing in this way that the whole crowd turns for him. Yeah. And eventually the managers realize, let's see what happens when he wins. Yeah. And he, you know, so, so this, you know, so, so he becomes this legendary character not just in in lucha libre but you know for the lbgtq population he just becomes this iconic character and 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 i just can't say enough about how great gael garcia bernal is and his smile in this movie you know it it it's heartbreaking sometimes it's heartwarming sometimes it's just He's absolutely wonderful, and the whole cast is as well. This is such a lovely movie. It's it's a fascinating story as well, much like the one we were just talking about, the uh, the scientific uh, movie Canary. This is an if you don't know about this, and uh, I knew about Lucha Libre, obviously, but the 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 other the other facets of it I didn't know. It's no. a fascinating story. Yeah, it is it another fascinating is. story, and it is called Cassandro out now in theaters. It says it's it's a prime movie, so it's not yet streaming. I don't believe it is streaming yet, but it will be soon. Yeah, it will be soon. Cassandro. Well, let's stay in theaters for a horror anthology. When police raid a house in El Paso, El Paso again, popular this week, they find it full of dead Latinos and only one survivor, known as the Traveler. He is taken to the police station for questioning. There he recounts tales of horrors from his life. It's called Satanic Hispanics. There are portals back and forth from one realm to the other. The problem is sometimes the portals don't close once they're open. If I don't leave here within the next 90 minutes, we are all going to be dead. Detectives, you have no idea what is coming. So this is a fun one, uh, and it's an anthology entirely. Uh, each of the short films is directed by a Latinx filmmaker. They're very, very different, but they're held together by, as often happens, you know, in an anthology, this bookend story about the traveler, uh, played by Efren Ramirez. Pedro, vote for Pedro. Napoleon Dynamite. Oh yeah. my God! And uh, and he's he's been arrested because he was the sole survivor of this of this slaughter. And so he's trying to help the detectives understand why they have to let him go or everybody in the jailhouse is going to die. Mm-hmm. Because this thing that came and killed everybody else in this in this uh, El Paso bar is cont- is still coming because it's coming for him. Mm-hmm. And so, he, you know, in trying to explain that, he, he takes you into these different, you know, supernatural events that he has witnessed or has somehow been part- a participant of. And it just gives all of these different directors an opportunity to to run with it. And, you know, there are some fun ones. There are some creepy ones. And, you know, it's important to know these directors, they're not like newbies. These are some of the great genre filmmakers uh, one of the Dead is one of our very favorite horror <laughs> films that not enough people have seen. Uh, and the the filmmaker who made that made this. Also, Blair Witch, the Blair Witch Project. Yes. Bingo Hell. Um, terrified. Yeah, good you stuff. Know, yeah, yeah, good stuff. So, so these are very savvy filmmakers. And it's fun to see somebody work in a short form, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. not everybody does, but I love short films. I love short horror films, and I like the way these put together. These come together. Some of them are quite funny. Um, some of them are spooky, as I said. But if you like anthologies, this, there's a lot here to enjoy. And that is out in theaters now. Another perfect 
perfect uh, film for the season. If you're into the spooky stuff, the scary stuff, gives you little bits, little anthologies that, as you say, are almost always tied together with a bookend story. And you can find it in theaters. It's called Satanic Hispanics. Well, let's do more spooky, and this one is on Shudder. Supernatural horror based on the eponymous online phenomenon, a ritual conducted in an elevator in which players attempt to travel to another dimension using a set of rules that can be found online. It's Elevator Game. And action. Welcome. Today we'll be tackling an internet legend called the Elevator Game. The entire game is real. When we played the game, we broke a rule. Open the door. Now she's out to get us. We need to go to the police. You can't call the cops on a ghost, Chloe. We didn't finish the game. We have to play again. That's how we close the door. This is from director Rebecca McKendry, who did Glorious yeah. last year, which was <laughs> Gloria, a nutty one. The Glory right? Hole Horror right. Show. Right. <laughs> it was a nasty, but it was, it, there are similarities because it's just like one isolated, small space that you're kind of trapped in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was excited to see what she could do with an elevator. I, I have to admit, and I don't, I don't like when a critic says, I don't like this movie because it didn't do what I expected it to do. So right. it's not exactly what I'm saying, but it does seem for horror like a missed opportunity if your if your film takes place inside an elevator not to kind of work with claustrophobia as a part of the way to grow tense maybe i say that because i'm claustrophobic and afraid of elevators mm-hmm. but the it, for me I, that seemed like a real missed opportunity with this one well apparently it's based on a real challenge is this a real thing on tiktok i know yeah we wouldn't know would we no we wouldn't uh, that <laughs> but apparently it's a a game that you play where you have to do, as the synopsis said, uh, if you do a set of rules just right, and one of those rules is not opening your eyes. Yes. Okay? Not just you. Nobody who plays with you. So you have to trust everybody else to yeah. keep their stupid eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you can guess that not everybody does. And then <laughs> some things go wrong, and that's the basis of the horror in the movie. Yes. The, the fifth floor lady um, if you follow the rules exactly, then she whisks your carriage up to the 10th floor, it opens up, everything's red, and you see into her world. And if you don't follow the rules exactly, then she tears you to pieces, body and soul. Mm. And honestly, the backstory, the fifth floor lady, first of all, that's just a terrible name for a villain, but the backstory for that character I thought was quite interesting. I, I enjoyed it. And a lot of times those backstories don't tie in as well to the urban legend myth as they could. I liked it. But I, um, the way it was filmed, the movie is filmed very much like sort of a not very well-made TV show. And the performances also felt the same way, where there was a lot of turn on my heel and stomp off dramatically, mm-hmm. even though nothing that we just said was particularly dramatic or of any real importance. Um, and then also I have to say that it took me a while to realize that what they were saying was that this cast of characters were... High school kids, because they were clearly 30-year-olds. <laughs> so that threw me a little bit as well. Like, I'm not sure why they decided they had to be high school kids. Uh, five. I well, guess that's who, maybe that's who's playing this game. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. The, could be. The, 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 the main group of them have, of course, an online debunking, you know, phenomenon mm-hmm. show that's mm-hmm. not going very well. And then the other kid who shows up as their intern, 
is is being sneaky because he's trying to convince them to play this game because his his sister has disappeared. Um, and and again, none of them are. I mean, they're all thirty, so that that kind of <laughs> threw me a little bit as well. So it kind of takes you out of it. So to be honest with you, completely honest with you, especially for a Shutter premiere and and, and a Rebecca McKendry movie, I found this quite disappointing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's on Shutter now, so it's one of those where if you, you have Shutter already, uh, looking for spooky season stuff. Might be something you want to give a go, but kind of disappointed here for the elevator. No, not the. It's just elevator game, mm-hmm. right? Elevator game on Shutter now. Let's do an animated film next in theaters. Uh, inventing flying contraptions, war machines, and studying cadavers, Leonardo da Vinci tackles the meaning of life itself with the help of French princess Marguerite de Navarre, the inventor. So I set off to prove my point. Creating a city of ideas is so extraordinary. With friends along for the ride. On the road to fortune and fame. And an adventure full of pride. Oh, shoot. This talk of science and discovery makes my stomach go all queasy-weezy. Even Michelangelo agrees. Hmm, I like the sound of that. This is a full-length version of a a short film, which is quite a few years old now. I think 2009 is when it came out, so it took a while. But it's a director, co-director, and writer Jim Copabianco. Uh, bringing this and boy, if you it looks really cool, it does, and it's got a good good voice. Uh, Amazing, yeah. Da Vinci is a Stephen Fry, mm-hmm. right? Then you've got uh, Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. and Marianne Cotillard. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, you know, I feel like the main issue with this film is that it cannot choose its audience because the um, depth to which it explores certain topics, it's going to be much too dry for youngsters. Although it looks great, and I think it looks great, you know, whether you're a youngster or whether you're an adult, but the the childish manner with which the material is delivered makes it um, overly simplistic and hard for me as an adult to watch. It, it plods along and yeah. can't keep my attention. So I was really sorry for that, that it couldn't have just kind of chosen one or the other. There are a lot of films, a lot of animated films who know their target, but at the same time toss out asides here and there for yeah. the adults. Yeah. And this is not that. This is more like an adult film that tries to toss things once in a while for children, and that approach just, just didn't work. Yeah, it's going to remind a lot of adults of the animation style of those classic Christmas specials. Yeah. Uh, with the looks a little like claymation, stop yes. motion type yeah. of stuff, but it's a little more modern, of course, now. But it has that look about it, sort of like a like a three D picture book, maybe. But it uh, yeah, tackles a lot of historical subjects and really doesn't doesn't keep it to one that might have been maybe a little easier for children to grasp yeah. instead of reaching instead of such a broad brush through all these different uh, things that Da Vinci was into and pondering. Yeah, it's yeah. I think that that's that's another good point. Is that it. I mean, it's so broad stroke with so many different things. And uh, and then, you know, like uh, Mona Lisa pops up here and there, but is not by any means covered. So, uh, you know, so an adult would understand why that is there, but no <laughs> child is going to. So I do. I just feel like it, it had it just chosen an audience, mm-hmm. maybe an adult, maybe an adult audience, yeah. that would have been fine. But for me, it, it did not straddle that line well at all.
And that is called The Inventor, animated film in theaters now. Well, let's go to VOD. Ainsley is a misanthrope who hates people, but when she suddenly finds herself in isolation with no one to talk to, she realizes how much she actually misses connection. Enter Ulysses, a dead mouse in a jar. This movie is called Little Jar. I'm not going to let you become some crazy hermit lady. I'm not crazy. No, not yet. Wait, personal space. But you're on your way. Too much. We're friends, right? Too much. You are just like everyone else. Are you okay? You're not normally this weird? Yeah, fine. I'm just same old friendly Ainsley. Oh, you're going to go find someone else. <gasps> Good luck with that. We're friends, right? Are you okay? We're friends, right? If you leave, you can never come back. We're friends, right? We're friends, right? Just don't say no, because it'll definitely kill me. <laughs> this is from director and co-writer Dominic Lopez, and it was reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Christy Robb. She loved it. Delightful. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, a, an introspective journey, and, uh, you know, our, our guest, the sort of helping us along in our journey life is this dead mouse in a jar, and, um, you know, it, I think it's, it's something that feels very familiar to certain people because it's, it, it all happens during lockdown. And she thinks that she's going to love lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then with this mouse, she learns a lot about herself, almost in a Wilson kind of a way, uh. you know. <laughs> so um, it's a very unusual movie, really well made, very clever, very funny, and probably more relatable than you might expect. Yeah. And you can check out the full review at MadWolf.com from Christy Robb. But she has a big recommendation for Little Jar on VOD Now. Next is another VOD selection, sci-fi drama. Since losing her husband, Sophie has struggled to manage grief, a full-time job, and parenting her devastated daughter. But when a former physicist reveals a secret time-bending machine, Sophie will be faced with an impossible choice. It's called Aporia. Believe it or not, this was supposed to be a time machine. And now it's a gun that can fire a bullet into the past. All we need is a target. You know that's impossible, right? It's an awful feeling to lose those you love. But if we save her, everything resets. I want to see Riley grow up. I want to see her go to college. I don't want to lose you. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at madwolf.com. Four and a half stars. He loved it. Just this side of perfect. Yeah, and it's a great it. showcase for Judy Greer, who has never not been great. And uh, and still to this day, one of my favorite book titles ever, because if you didn't know, she wrote a memoir a few years ago, and the memoir is entitled, I Don't Know Where You Know Me From, <laughs> which is fantastic because you know she gets that every day. She's been in so many movies, and she's always good, and she's got a look where I could see people coming up where do I know you oh, from? Sure. I bet it happens constantly. So uh, I, th- I feel like in the last few years, she's getting more due and her name is getting known more. It seems that way to me. But a great showcase for her. And yeah, Brandon loved it. It's a uh, writer-director, Jared Mosh or Moshi. And, you know, time, time travel, time-bending films are always interesting to see how they're going to do it, how they're going to deal with the science of it, how they're going to deal with the repercussions of it. And some, of course, like every movie, are, are done better than others. And uh, Brandon thought this one 
focused on the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And was just a great showcase for Greer, who manages for a film that really kind of swims in grief, to keep things surprisingly light periodically. Mm-hmm. It is just a great showcase for her and a really smart film. Yeah, and also co-starring uh, Eddie Gathagy, who you probably remember. He'll, he has one of those faces, too, <laughs> that you know. Maybe he'll write a memoir. <laughs> I don't know where you know me from, either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a good showcase for, uh, for both of them and a good one for, you know, if you like the sci-fi stuff. And a little bit of a time travel. Check it out. Uh, it is on VOD now. Oh, well, check out Brandon's full review at MadWolf.com. But Aporia is on VOD now. Well, let's go back to horror, a film in theaters that questions the invisible line between victim and executioner and how it is crossed. It's called Megalomaniac. Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer, reviewed this one for us. I was really actually pretty excited to see this one because it's being billed as a throwback to French extreme horror, which of all horror subgenres is my favorite. And it can get extreme. Yeah, it can. When you say, usually when when we're talking about French extreme horror, they get extreme. Yes. You're thinking about movies like Martyrs and Inside. Mm -hmm. That's rough stuff. It is. But here, Daniel unfortunately felt that it was just torture a lot of torture porn for the sake of torture porn yeah that it it sort of was a retread of the nastiness without any of the inspiration and that you know uh, you know maybe if that's really what you like you might enjoy it but probably you should just go watch one of the movies that it <laughs> borrows from instead yeah and you can check out daniel's entire review at madwolf.com but it is in theaters now megalomaniac And one more, a uh, foreign language drama in theaters. Charlie escapes the Armenian genocide as a boy by fleeing to the United States, but he returns as an adult and is arrested. He watches an Armenian couple from his prison cell finally learning about his homeland. It's called Amerikatsi. Ten years, very long time. Yes, I think so. Asharov makes servats highly genocide. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and it is writer, director, and star Michael A. Gorjan, and she thought that the movie was surprisingly uh, humorous given the subject matter, and that it was just a lovely film that winds up being kind of a love letter to Armenia and the resilience of its people. Yeah, and as you heard in the trailer there, there is some language. It's not totally foreign language. There is some English spoken Mm -hmm. in it as well. And it sort of reminds you at times of something like Life is Beautiful, Mm -hmm. where it focuses on one person's inner strength and finding a way to to transcend their confines Mm -hmm. and make it through an incredibly tough situation. So it is fascinating in that way. And and Rachel did uh, really enjoy it. You can check out her full review at madwolf.com, but she recommends the new drama in theaters called Americazzi. And speaking of the schlocketeer, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the lobby with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the schlocketeer, for the latest comings and goings and delays and postponements. And you got more? (laughs) I do not. 
nothing but dates for you this time. So All right. <laughs> uh, first up, the raunchy teen comedy Bottoms will hit premium VOD on September 22nd. Watch yeah. it. Everyone, watch <laughs> it. It is so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. And then uh, Burt Kreischer's comedy The Machine will begin streaming on Netflix on September 23rd. Blue Beetle hits premium VOD on September 26th. And Disney's new Haunted Mansion film will begin streaming on Disney Plus beginning October 4th. Okay. Blumhouse's The Boogeyman hits Hulu on October 5th. And William Friedkin's final film, uh, which is the courtroom drama The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, will premiere on Paramount Plus if you have the Showtime tier on October 6th. It will also begin airing on Showtime television channels about two days later on October 8th. Hmm. Not going to theaters, which is a bummer, but yeah. it is coming out soon. Uh, and this was all obviously done and in the can by the time he passed away. Yeah, it was. It was probably locked in a while ago. It's inter- I'm gonna. I'm interested to see what he can do with a courtroom drama because those can be so dry, and you know, uh, it takes somebody such a talented director to to give it some life. I'm looking forward to that. Am I wrong, or did did Guillermo del Toro come in toward the end to help? Um. Well. I guess that's that's an interesting thing to talk about in general. It's it's something that's not talked about much with um, aging directors. Um, I couldn't give you an exact. Uh, I don't. I guess cut off is a, a bad term, but um, at a certain point, when a director hits a certain age, for insurance purposes, they you, the um, the guild will quietly add an additional director onto the film just to sit there and basically watch and not do anything just in case something happens to the filmmaker either during production or during post-production to the point where they wouldn't be able to finish the movie. I see. So the younger one could step in. Uh-huh. Guillermo del Toro did it for William Friedkin on um, this one, the came Court Martial. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson did it for Robert Altman on um, A Prairie Home Companion. Wow. And... Uh, of course, you know, Ridley Scott cranks out movies like crazy, yeah. but all all three of his kids are filmmakers. There's always one of them on set with him, hmm. just in case. So, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, good to know. And uh, Shutter has set an October 6th premiere for VHS 85. Um, this one's got short films from Scott Derrickson, David Bruckner, Natasha Kermani, and uh, Gigi Saul Guerrero. So hopefully that one will be good. Yeah, I always look forward to those. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 hits premium VOD on October 10th. And then on October 13th, there's the VOD and possible select theatrical release for um, the MGM and Amazon horror film Dark Harvest, which is based on an award-winning horror novel, and it's also David Slade's first feature film as a director in 13 years. He's been working in TV the entire time. That's the 13th? Yes, it is, actually. (laughs) That's Taylor Swift Day, didn't they? Didn't, <laughs> didn't anyone tell them? It's, that's Taylor Swift Day. Well, I, I guess maybe they figure uh, you want to settle into a horror movie at home once you get home from watching the, the concert. <laughs> then on October 15th, the killer sloth horror film Slother House mm-hmm. will hit Hulu. <laughs> Not sure what the prospects are on that one, but I'll give them points for the title. Um, Cobweb, which continues to gain a horror following online, is hitting Hulu on October 20th, just in time for everyone to see it ahead of Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, and while this next film doesn't have a U.S. release date, uh, given that, well, at least not yet, given that it's spooky season, and I know that you have U.K. listeners, um, 
and who this film is from. On October 27th, um, the once again resurgent Hammer Films is releasing their latest opus, Dr. Jekyll, in theaters, and it stars Eddie Izzard in the titular role. And reviews for it have been through the roof. So, Brits, mark your calendars, and the rest of us can impatiently wait for it to come over here. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm very eager to see that. I've got two more horror movies for you to close things out. Um, Shutter will premiere the demonic possession flick When Evil Lurks on October 27th, and this one's notable because it's the latest from the director of 2017's Terrified, which was a pretty good one as well. Yes, it was. Looking forward to that one. And lastly, Netflix has uh, announced an October 27th premiere for Paco Plaza's horror film Sister Death, which is actually a prequel to his 2017 film Veronica. A little double dose there if you haven't seen either of them. You can watch them both back to back now. Yeah, definitely. Lots of stuff for spooky season. Glad to hear it as always. And you can catch up with the latest news and notes anytime with Daniel on the socials at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got the latest from The Expendables. Who is going to be added to The Expendables next? I don't know. Well, we have a good idea if you've seen the trailer. (laughs) They just keep adding, but it's Expendables 4 next week. Also, Dumb Money. Uh, Spy Kids, Armageddon. How many Spy Kids movies have there been This is four at least. Okay, and I think it's going to be VOD on this one, I believe. We'll see. Spy Kids, Armageddon. It Lives Inside. Also, Barber. The Latent Image. And Condition of Return. That's all next week. But, whoa, we got a bunch to talk about this week. A lot of spooky season stuff, some dramas. Let us know what you thought about A Haunting in Venice or Love at First Sight, anything. Uh, This week, we can always keep the conversation going easily on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. Also on Threads, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So uh, talk about the movies. We love it. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like, what you're looking forward to. Hope you will. Have a great weekend. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.